welcome to another episode of Saturday, Saturday the 14th. 14th. Uh, I am Maggie. And I am Maddie. And we're here today to talk to you about the purge. Yay, the purge. Which I think is actually how people usually in the movie feel about the purge. They yeah. feel pretty excited that it's happening. Yeah, not everybody, but the people who are into it are really into it. If they're rich, they're into it. True. If they're not, not so much. Yeah. I didn't realize how heavy-handed this movie would be in terms of classism. Oh, boy. It is really laying it on thick, and it only gets thicker in the subsequent films. I was going to ask that because I didn't see any of the sequels. Yeah, so I watched um, 1, 2, and 3. I did not watch The First Purge because I resent the fact that they named it The First Purge because it makes it very confusing to differentiate between The First Purge movie and the movie The First Purge. Yes. Stupid. Don't like it. Yeah, I was trying to Google, like, the first Purge movie, and everything that came up was, yep, the first Purge. I was like, what is the year supposed to be in the first Purge? And they were like, it's when the Purge began. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Not what I wanted. Or the Purge is supposed to have started in 2014? Yeah. Which makes sense, because this movie came out in 2013. Yeah, so it's supposed to be the year after. And so I think that's when the movie, the first Purge, is going to take place. It's going to be, like, 2014. But then it's, like, 2022 or 2030-something. Yeah, it's been around for, like, eight years or so, I think, at this point. Yeah. Because the kids are, like, basically have grown up with it. It's an interesting concept for a movie. It is. Um, So... Uh, to get us started off, The Purge, uh, as we mentioned, came out in 2013. Uh, it was written and directed by James DeMonico, who wrote and directed most of the um, the series. Okay, I don't cool. think he is involved with The First Purge, or at least not in the same capacity. I'm going to get so confused. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I, it's going to be difficult to differentiate between The First Purge, The First Purge movie, the movie The Purge, and the concept of The Purge, but we're going to try. We will do our damnedest. <laughs> If you get confused, I'm so sorry. And this movie and the series in its entirety has been produced by Jason Blum of Blumhouse. Yep. Um, they actually had a Blumhouse-specific maze at Halloween Horror Nights last year. Were there Purge people in it? There were Purge people. Um, there was Happy Death Day stuff in it. Ooh. And maybe some Insidious. That makes sense. They have several, like, major series. Uh, I would series argue that he is, like, doing the best work in the horror industry right now. I think that he is, and I think it's a little bit difficult to, like, narrow things down in the same way um, as we used to be able to, because he's not a John Carpenter or a Wes Craven. Because he's not the director he's not directing, writer, so he's not he really... Great stuff. Right, yeah. He's, like, getting it made, but he's not, like, an auteur behind the yeah. whole series or whatever. Anyway, this movie stars Ethan Hawke and Lita Headey of Game of Thrones fame. Yeah. Also, Ethan Hawke never plays a good guy in a movie. Not really, no. No. No, he's always He obnoxious. probably has at some point in time, but he, he doesn't have, like, a likable face. There's nothing likable about Ethan Hawke. Not really. Um, I'm sure he's actually, like, a nice guy just in movies. Like, maybe they just always make him really unlikable. Yeah, he could be a, a lovely man in person. I don't know. I've never met Ethan Hawke. Nor have surprisingly. I. Surprisingly. <laughs> Uh, their kids are played by Adelaide Kane and Max Burkholder, and then Edwin Hodge and Reese Wakefield. Uh, and then Edwin Hodge and Reese Wakefield are two strangers that they encounter during the course of the Purge Night. Yeah, it's a pretty enjoyable movie. Yeah. I kind of regret watching it in public because people could definitely see me watching this very Where violent were, movie. Oh, right, you were at school. I was watching it in the school library. Nice. In the most private part I could find. It was interesting, though. Yeah. It's a very high-concept movie, which I think is interesting. Um, I just wish it were a little bit less heavy-handed. Yeah. I think they just, like, took a baseball bat and were hitting you over the head with, like, classism, classism, classism. There is a lot of classism. 
Yeah, so it's a pretty high concept movie, but despite that, it doesn't have a huge budget. Uh, its budget is only like $3 million. It didn't have a ton of special effects. A lot of it was pretty practical. Yeah, and most of it takes place in that house, so there's not like a lot of locations. Um, no. But it was still really, really popular. These are very, very successful movies, even though they've gotten... We'll touch a little bit later on the reviews, but they haven't all been amazing. But people really like watching it. Yeah. It's an interesting concept. Yeah. And also people just want to live out all their violent fantasies. I think that's a big part of it. So it made... Um, $89.3 million. So not casually just 30 times the amount of money yeah, it took to Yeah, no big deal. Whatever. But yeah, so it takes place um, in... But yeah, so it starts off with white text on a black background, which I've realized is a theme in the past couple movies we've yeah, watched. Yeah, because it was in Blair Witch, and it was in uh, Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. So. And here we are again. And the text talks about how in 2014, the New Founding Fathers of America, which is a totalitarian political party... Um, they were voted into office after a complete economic collapse, and so they passed a law that sanctions an annual purge for 12 hours. So all crime under a specific level. It said, like, under, like, level 7 crime, so I'm guessing, right. like, you so can't... so you can't use, like, certain weapons. Yeah, you can't, like, take a tank and start blowing up buildings and stuff like that, but right. you can use, like, guns and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, and you also can't kill um, government officials. Government officials, I think, above a certain level are safe that makes sense like i think you can probably like shoot your mailman but you can't like kill the president yeah and then um but it's legal for 12 hours so i think it's 8 p.m to 8 a.m uh 7 p.m to 7 okay gotcha mm -hmm. yeah um and so in response to this by 2022 which is when our movie starts um the u.s has become virtually crime free the unemployment rate has dropped to one percent which is actually not a healthy unemployment rate because it means that no one is leaving their jobs to start new jobs and also there's um no real competition so you know that's interesting yeah, yeah. not ideal you I, I apparently you want something that's closer to a, a three to five i think I is what that. i read yeah i am not uh, an economist so i might be wrong about that but apparently they adjusted it for later movies um, to be an ideal rate to be a better rate yeah because one percent people were like yeah that's actually not so good and so there's just this, like, beautiful montage of security camera footage that comes from the annual purges, and, like, each, it says each year in the corner. That's yeah, and, like, where it took place. But it's all set to Claire de Lune. Yeah, and it's just people beating the shit out of each other. Which I realize it's actually become, like, one of my favorite tropes that you see in movies is just, like, horrific violence to music that does not match in the slightest. It is interesting. It's fun. And it's done differently in a lot of ways. So you had the um, Run Rabbit Run and Get Out. Ooh, yeah. And that one was done really well. Yeah, and that um, was, a, like, a diegetic sound where it was, like, in the car. Yeah, and then you have... Um, Singing in the Rain and Clockwork Orange, yeah. which is probably one of the most famous instances I think of it. so, and I honestly think in terms of, like, um, like the concept of a home invasion movie, I think owes a lot to Clockwork Orange. Yeah, but it's kind of, of nice because this was more, this wasn't just, like, happy music. This was, like, very peaceful, like, what you would listen to go to sleep to. Yeah, and, and it's just people getting It fits also the destroyed. concept that, like, this horrific violence leads to peace throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah, so, I like that. Interesting themes. Um, but after this, it shows James, who is Ethan Hawke, who is just the least likable person oh, in this movie. Oh, he's the worst. Like, least, less likable than the villains of the movie. Yeah, they're like, much more interesting. I like the villains more yeah, than yeah, yeah. Definitely. And so he's on his way home, and he clearly, like, lives in a super rich area in L.A., and... 
he's listening to a radio show and they're talking about the purge and they mentioned the blue baptista flowers that you have to put in front of your house to show your support right which um i guess the the threat being that if you don't have them out people will try to break into your home yeah so it's like an, an effort that people make and apparently one of the other efforts that people make to keep people out is buying these elaborate home security systems which james sandon sells yeah and so he's on the phone on his way home talking about how he is either just made a sale or um I think they're tallying up the final count to see who has had the most sales. And he's yeah. on the phone with his assistant. It actually gives her a lot of credit, which is really nice. Yeah. But while he's in the car, the radio show is talking about the fact that – and this is where, like, some of the heavy-handed classism stuff starts, and it just continues. It goes into the idea that is this, like, world that we live in, like, crime-free and mostly poverty-free – because of the fact that you get all the worst parts of you out during the purge? Or is it because they've just killed everyone who was poor, who was sick, who, like, couldn't afford a security system? Right. And so the idea is that now that just, like, the rich people are living their, like, rich fantasy dreams because everyone who they don't deem worthy of living has been killed? Mm-hmm. Or is it actually helping society? Right. Spoiler alert, it's the first. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that they deal extensively with in the later movies as well. Cool. Uh, you get to see a lot of lower-income people. Um Specifically, we don't see much to of that safe. in this movie. No, they really do take a turn um, with the sequels and kind of completely readjust the atmosphere and the feel of the movies. Um, so they're a hundred percent sure that like everything is going to be fine with them because they have this fancy security system. James mentions to another neighbor that he runs into on his drive home that like, don't worry, I have the same security system that you have. We're going to be great. Yeah, everyone's going to be safe. Everyone's going to be happy. So he comes home. James comes home to his wife, Mary, and uh, they're talking about their daughter, Zoe, whose boyfriend um, is apparently older and there's been a little bit of tension within the family. Because uh, they don't want her seeing him anymore. Yeah, he's 18 and she is not younger. Maybe 16. Something I don't know if it's like ever that. explicitly said. It's not really. She wears a schoolgirl costume for more of this movie than I would like. It's ridiculous. It's like, gross. She's it's... clearly just really over sexualized this entire time because the next shot is her making out with her boyfriend. She's wearing a schoolgirl uniform, mm-hmm. but like the shirt's kind of unbuttoned and the tie is undone. And there's and, like, like the skirt's really short. Yeah. It's a little gross. Yeah. She's supposed to be 16. I know her actress is probably, like, in her 20s, but still, like, ew. It just felt very unnecessary. Because that's not what a school uniform actually looks like at all. Yeah. So they're, like, making out, and he's, like, really weird. And he's, like, talking about how he's going to figure it out with her dad or whatever. And she's like, you have to get out of here before, like, the purge. There's also this weird growling scene. Yeah, he's like, instead of saying I love you, we're going to growl at each other. And so they, like... I think it's literally so they could have a shot of her growling for the trailer. That is my hypothesis. I guess. It was weird. It's so weird. Like, it just makes him, like, why would you, I, I know in high school you date losers. Like, it's what you do. Like, it's just a part of being in high school. But, I like, some good very Lord. interesting characters in high school. Yeah, I mean, oof. Don't the we all? The cheesiest, weirdest shit to just growl at each other instead and of so saying I love you. he sneaks out of the balcony because he needs to get home in time for the purge. Right. And they don't know he's there. Like, they think that she's upstairs sulking and she's upstairs making out with her boyfriend. Right. But as he's sneaking out, what I think is really interesting is they actually, like, see a neighbor sharpening a machete just, like, casually in the backyard. And they're like, oh, he's getting ready for the purge. And it's, I was like, everyone's so chill about it. And it's so fucking weird. Yeah. But... Um, so James, um, now that we're back downstairs, James has brought home some blue Baptista flowers, uh, which he gives to Mary, and Mary's like, okay, I'm going to run these outside, put them out before the, the purge starts. She goes outside, and she runs into one of her neighbors who brings over cookies, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, and she's like, oh, gosh, thanks. And and she's talking about her neighbor's going to have a purge party, 
Um, she's like, oh, are you having a purge party? She's like, no, we're just going to stay in this year. And yeah. we find out later she's lying. Yeah. Um, she actually is throwing the party, and they're just not invited because she yeah. makes these really sassy comments about the fact that James has sold the entire town their security systems, and so they actually added, like, an entire wing onto the house, which just feels so unnecessary. Yeah, and she's like, oh, so, like, basically the neighborhood paid for that wing. And Mary's like, oh, no, look at I have to go. It's time to, for the purge. Time to be inside. Bye. And, and so, pieces out of there super awkwardly. And then she goes inside, and there's these really weird shots of, like, a something sneaking up on her legs. Yeah. And it's, we find out it's Timmy, who is a robot made out of, like, a half-burnt baby doll. Yeah, why do they have that? I don't know. That's I feel like a some, regular like, robot would have been fine. I feel like that is a direct, like, how can we make toy this creepier? story call-out. Also, that's true. Like, yeah, that's it looks gotta a be a Toy Story shout-out, like right? Like, the uh, creepy thing. The yeah. The claw guy from Toy Story. He's very unnerving. And so, um, it, like, scares the mommy. Find out it's being controlled by Charlie, who's the son, who is played by Max Burkholder, who I would argue is actually the best actor in this movie. He's great. He's really good, and he's in Parenthood. He plays autistic kid there, and he is oh. also probably the best actor in that show. He's a really good young actor. Like, nice. he's going to be very successful well he life. does a great job of being very creepy in this movie because yeah. while he's like driving the thing around he's also like in his like creepy he has like a little hole in his closet, in his closet that he's like holed up in um and he's talking to his mom well he's listening to his mom because his mom is like come down for dinner yeah. to timmy the robot which is then being streamed into his little closet hole it's so odd and so he goes down and he's like talking to his mom and he's like hey guess what i've been taking my weird blood pressure or my heart rate, yeah, right? He it's his heart rate measurement. Tracking his heart rate like every couple hours because he ends up like taking it during dinner. Yeah, it's which is weird, but um, it's also something that like a weird eight year old, yeah. ten year old, twelve year old. I have no idea how old he is. I read a thing online and I don't remember where it was. I think it might have been on like TV trips or something like that. Where like suggesting that maybe the reason that he's doing that is because he knows that there's no emergency services available during the purge. Oh, that's interesting. And he wants to like make sure that he's okay before he like before it starts. I think it's really interesting that there's no like emergency services like whatsoever yeah i understand no cops but like what if you have like a heart attack or something like that doesn't matter it doesn't you're done for what happens if like someone has to have a baby like there are things like that they're like very natural things that can happen to your body that you might need to go to the hospital for that aren't violence related true and so the fact there are like no doctors and all that is interesting to me yeah in uh in the second third movie in the third movie um one of the characters is like a medic basically okay um who who works with like a team of people who just go around and try to help people who've been hurt during the purge yeah so is that election day um yes yeah that's election day because it's purge anarchy and then purge election day Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean people apparently have taken it into their own hands but it is weird that there's like no options for if something happens but they have dinner and they realize that the time is coming and so James goes, he enables the security system, and the family just basically goes about their normal routine. Yeah, this is weird. So they have this whole security system, but they don't have any kind of, like, safe room. So, like, basically, if someone does break in somehow through the security system, if something fails, they're just fucked. Clearly like, they, they never don't... saw the movie Panic Room. Exactly, which is the classic home invasion movie. Yeah. Like, there's an episode of Gilmore Girls where Emily gets a panic room. I mean, it's just smart. If you work for a 
home security company. You should probably have one of those. They have, like, a control room, and they have guns and stuff like that, but it doesn't lock down in any way. They don't have any way of, like, locking off sections of the house. They also have, like, a huge fucking house. You could buy one of those, like, pre-built things and just, like, stick it in a room that you never use yeah. because they cannot possibly be using all the rooms in this ginormous house. Exactly. Why didn't they include that in their new fancy wing that they added on? Really? Like, I feel like your money could have been better spent, family. But instead of doing that, they just lock it down, and then they're like, let's watch the news a little bit, and the kids are like, I hate this. I'm going somewhere else. And so they just leave. Lena Headey starts, like, running weirdly. Yeah, she's on, like, a treadmill in her bedroom, and she's just, like, running. And uh, the daughter, Zoe, goes back to her bedroom where, surprise, surprise, her boyfriend is back. Yeah, apparently he snuck back in before the shutdown. And she's like, why did you do that? And they start making out, and she, like, unbuttons her shirt. She's like, they over-sexualize the daughter. Oh, God, so much. And then he's like, wait, I'm not here for this. And she's like, what? You don't want to have, like, sex with me right now? And he's like, no, I need to go talk to your dad. And the whole idea is... she's like, don't. Yeah, she's like, (laughs) this is a bad idea. It's not going to work. He's like, no, I need him to understand our relationship. And around the same time, the son is watching the security cameras. Mm -hmm. Charlie. Yeah. And he sees a man riding through the street screaming for help because he's, like, injured and needs a place to go, but no one is letting him in. Right. Um, So he decides he's going to go and let this man in, which is sweet he's a good kid he he, he really, really has is. good intentions he does so he runs down um and he he knows the code apparently which i don't think they should have let the children know probably not i think there should be more controls like a fingerprint something i feel like you should also have a different code to unlock it than to lock it would make a lot of sense because that way the kids could lock themselves down whenever they needed to yeah but they couldn't unlock themselves yeah actually i don't even know that he enters the code i think he might just hit the undo. unlock button, which I also don't think That's you should be able possible. to do that easily. I don't remember super well. But yeah, it seemed way too easy. And so he undoes the locking of the house and like the dad is doing paperwork and he mm-hmm. like sees all of a sudden that the window coverings are going up and he's like, What the fuck's happening? Yeah. And Charlie runs to the front doors like yelling, like, Come here, come here, come here and so the injured man runs in, he like slides underneath the door in time before it like closes. Yeah. And the dad and the mom are like, why did you do this? This, like, what the fuck? You don't know this guy. You don't know where he came from. You don't know what's going on. You just let yeah. a total stranger into our house. So James comes in, and he, like, takes out his gun, and he holds the guy at gunpoint. And it's him, Charlie, and this guy. Mm-hmm. And we never get a name for him. No, we don't get a name for really anybody but the immediate family. Yeah. Um, and then Lena Hetty, I think, is there as well. Um, she is too, yeah. And, and they're so quickly joined by Zoe and the boyfriend, Henry. Yeah, because as it turns out, Henry is not there to, have to talk to the dad. Nope, he's, he's there. there to shoot the dad. So Henry, who is a horrible shot, shoots a couple times at the dad. The dad shoots back, and they have like a little mini gunfight. The injured homeless man because we do find out later that he's homeless Mm -hmm. um he runs off to hide in the house yeah henry gets shot Henry gets shot and is like they go upstairs and it ends up killing him yeah Mm -hmm. and zoe is like very pro henry in this whole thing like she's not like what the fuck why are you shooting at my dad she's like dad why'd you shoot my boyfriend which is like well no later on on, she is very like realizes that yeah she had no idea who was going to be shooting at him yeah and she's like not mad at her dad. No, I think she was just very surprised during the interaction. Yeah. So she, yeah, she just, like, runs off. She goes up to help Henry, and then she's just, like, hurt and upset and scared. Not, like, physically hurt, but just, like, very freaked out by the whole situation. Um, the dad is freaking out. James is freaking out. He's like, now there's just a man in my house, and I don't know where he is. And then 
they get another visitor at their yes. camera. So shortly after all this happens, they see a group of young adults walking down the same path. And they come up to the house and are talking to the security cameras. Yeah, and they don't have the sound on, so they have to turn the sound on. And it's this one guy in a mask. But what I love is he has a mask. He's this tall, skinny guy. He has this mask of, like, this white blonde guy. With, like, a huge, creepy smile. Yeah. And he lifts the mask up. And he looks exactly the same as the face on the mask. Like, he's just another creepy white blonde guy with a huge smile. And they basically said they just try and dress as, like, creepily as possible yeah. on this day because they just want to induce fear in their victims. Yeah. And the victim they had picked out was a homeless man that they say very derogatory things about. Because, like, he's just adding to the poverty and he's adding to... Um, He's taking away from this perfect society, so they want right. to kill him. And wouldn't the the Sandins, as upper-class people themselves, want to be on the side of these people And they who can are tell purging. from the blue Baptista flowers, they support this holiday. Mm -hmm. So basically, they need to hand over the homeless guy, or else they're going to break into the house, because they have the ability to do so. Right. And we find out quickly from James that like they actually can get in, because these security systems that he's been selling to the entire town aren't that great no they're strong enough to hold up against if somebody shoots at your house but they don't really expect anybody to try to break into upper class households which i think is stupid because if there's anything i know about people it's that they want to rob rich people that's also true so like why would they not expect i know there's a lot of like behind the scenes engineering stuff happening but like why on earth would you not expect people to try to roll up to your fancy neighborhood and I break think part in of it's that they wanted to look enough like that's it's the same reason why people will buy dummy security cameras because they see it and they think oh that's going somewhere i'll get caught or like oh that True. looks scary i don't know if i'll be able to get in and even i might get caught while trying i think it's similar to like someone having a dummy security camera where just having something or like it looking like you have something automatically deters people from like robbing you because they can always go rob someone who doesn't have all that fancy ass stuff that makes a lot of sense they're kind of like shit we actually need to figure something out um and this is where I think it gets interesting, because this family is well-established as not participating in the Purge, technically politically supporting it. Like, there's a couple times where Charlie says, like, this is messed up, I don't know why we're doing this, and the mom is like, no, no, it's like, it's good for it's society. helping people, and obviously they're making a ton of money off of it, but they don't, like, technically support it enough to actually want to go be violent themselves. Yeah. So this is the point where they have to decide, like, you actually have to do something. Are you going to resist these people if they break into your house or are you going to actively hand over an innocent person to strangers to be murdered it's pretty much the trolley problem yeah essentially because if they do nothing then there's a good chance the entire family will be killed yeah as well as this guy but if they turn him over then they're actively allowing someone to be killed they're making the decision that that yeah. guy is gonna die and so i actually had a whole conversation with this because either way likely this homeless person's going to be killed right so either do you save someone for like an extra hour or two mm -hmm. and then they are probably going to die along with you and your entire family, including your kids. Yeah. Or do you let this one person die? Because chances are they're going to die either way. True. The question is, do you let your kids be murdered as well? Well, I guess the ultimate decision is, do you try to fight off these people? Yeah. And risk that something might happen to you, but also take the chance that you might be able to defend your family as well as the stranger who yeah. needs you? Or do you say, screw you, you're not as important as my kids, which honestly is like I an would understandable... Not held, like, I didn't hold them wanting to get the homeless guy out and 
turn him over mm-hmm. against them because of the fact that it was more like if it was just like a me or him type thing that's one thing if it's you or my kids I think it yeah. changes the it yeah. changes things a bit yeah but ultimately it's kind of I think pointing out that their ultimate flaw is that they've been they've gone along with it this they've allowed it to get to this point they've allowed things to, to progress to the point where they have to make this decision by their previous inaction you know that makes perfect sense so they're like all right time to find this guy and hand him over and Charlie's like, no, 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 I don't want you to do this. And the dad's like, too bad. It's going to happen. Whatever. Um, so they're searching for him. And this is when the earlier introduced creepy-ass robot, Timmy, comes into play. Right. So, because Charlie starts driving this little robot around searching for the guy. And he finds him and then leads him to the secret spot that we saw Charlie in earlier. Right. He's trying to keep him safe. Right. And the daughter, who is not with them when the people were outside, like, they, she didn't get to see the security camera. Everyone else in the family did. She gets freaked out. Her boyfriend said, so she decides that she's going to go hide in Charlie's secret spot. But he has just led the homeless man there. Right. And so he freaks out and he like grabs the parents and they go run and they find um, the man holding the daughter mm, at yes. like knife point or gunpoint or something like and that. And he's like, I don't want to hurt her, but like, you can't, you can't hand me. me over to these people. Like, don't do it. Yeah. And so they manage to get her away from him. They manage to yeah, wrangle the guy. Yeah, I think Lena Headey comes from behind, like sneaks up on him behind while he has the gun. Mm-hmm. And, Ethan Hawke yells, like, shoot him now! And he freaks yeah, out and yeah. he runs away. Yeah. Um, but they do get him and they tie him up and they tie him to a chair. They have to go through some pretty brutal shit to yeah. get him in there. Oh, which God, is, I forgot I about that. I think at the point where you are intended to lose all sympathy with their actions. I think so. Because Lena Headey grabs him, takes a letter opener, and stabs him in, like, the stomach and the torso a so couple times. It's where um, his bullet wound is from when the people were or bullet wound or knife wound Mm -hmm. from when the young adults were injuring him they're like poke him in his like wound in order to subdue him i gotta be honest i looked away for a lot of it yeah it was it was so she basically like stabbed him like poked him and stuff like that in a wound that already existed in order Mm -hmm. to get him in so much pain that they could tie him up and they do and they go through a shit ton of duct tape they must have the worst duct tape in the world because there is no way that man would get out if there was actually that much duct tape no i've tried to rip duct tape without my teeth it's hard. It's really difficult. But they get him in the chair, and they're all set. And the guy's like, you know what? Just send me out there. Whatever. you got to protect your kids. Just send me out. That's fine. And Ethan Hawke is like, oh, shit. We can't send this guy out there. Because then we're just as bad as they are. Yeah. So they're like, okay, no. We're not going to give it. You know, we're not going to give him back. And the gang outside is like, okay, well, time to party then. So they have, like, a big pickup truck, and they attach metal chains to it and put the chains on the door, mm-hmm. like the metal covering for the front doors. And rip that off. Yeah. Pretty easily. They get inside pretty quickly. Um, but because they have this whole, like, weapon cabinet, just in case, um, the family's armed with guns. And actually, Ethan Hawke takes out, like, a really good number. He takes out, he like, does. five or six of them. He shoots a lot of people. But um, ultimately, the main guy who's not wearing a mask, which is really interesting because he's, like, the group leader and he's yeah. the only one not wearing a mask at yeah. this point. Um He's the one who ultimately stabs Ethan Hawke and yeah. mostly ki- doesn't kill him, but like pretty badly wounds him. Yeah, he kills him eventually. Yeah, just not quite. True. 
it takes a lot. It takes a hot sack for him. Yeah, to die. he 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 bleeds out. He does as a result of the wound. Yeah, um, but it's really interesting because he kills like one of the young girls, and like the young girl actually looks kind of similar to the daughter. Like she has like the dark hair, and like she's just a basic teenager who was wearing a mask and was like kind of creepy when she was wearing the mask. But as soon as it comes off, he realizes she's just a girl that he's right. now killed. Yeah, and it, I mean it's upsetting. It's like it makes sense because these people are actively trying to kill him, but he's basically just like plowing down teenagers and like twenty year olds. Yeah, um, as he's going through his house. To be fair, like a young like teenage girl in like a creepy ass mask wielding an axe is like a pretty terrifying. cool and terrifying like i think some of the imagery of revolving the gangs are really cool it is yeah yeah and when there's like the they're outside part. and they're dancing around and it's yeah, all very like because while they're waiting they're kind of taunting them they're like on the swings they're like making out while still wearing their masks and stuff like it's like weird yeah. stuff but it visually looks really cool yeah so even hawk gets stabbed Around the same time, Charlie has noticed that their their neighbors are leaving their houses, and they're armed. Yeah, and they're on their way. They're on their way over. So, um, the the leader and the rest of the gang, they like get pretty the much family have the family. Yeah, they and, have like, them tie them up. Yeah. they're gonna set them on fire. I think. Yeah, and it's obvious that like Ethan Hawk is is on his way out. Like he's dying. Yeah. Um, and so as he's about, as the group leader, the polite stranger as he's called or the yeah. polite leader as he's called in many uh situations because he is very courteous when he talks he to always people. is very polite yeah and actually he kills one of his friends because his friend was being an asshole and like screaming he's like i don't tolerate impolite behavior and, yeah like, he literally killed his friend yeah and he's like he's my friend what do you think i'm gonna do to you which is like impo- like polite and also like very very scary yeah um so they have them all rounded up uh, the gang leader is about to kill the family. He's got a shotgun. He's about to shoot You're them. Right, he was about to shoot them. He wasn't going to burn them. Right. But then the neighbors show up, and they, like, wipe out the yeah. rest of they the They just, gang. like, come in, clear it all out. They just destroy everyone. And Lena Headey, or Hetty Headey? I think it's Hetty. Okay, well, Lena Headey is like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Like, I'm so, you've saved us. She's like, oh, well, we weren't saving you. We were just ours, not theirs. Yeah. And they also continue to keep them rounded up. And uh, I think that's when they actually tie them up because they weren't tied up before. Yeah. And they're like, we're going to set them all on fire. Yeah. And they're, they have big knives. They're like going to like hack them and I think then burn down the house. It's all very, very dramatic and kind of ritualistic and scary. And they're talking about how they hate that they're so jealous and the anger they have towards this family. And so they're going to purge themselves of this jealousy and of this hatred by killing the family because to kill the family will remove their like sins yeah because it'll stop them from feeling that way and right as they're about to like start slashing and hacking the homeless man shows up yeah and he shoots one of them yeah and prevents the rest of them from doing yeah basically frees the family and so they're able to kind of round up the neighbors and because the homeless man he asks like what do you want me to do with them like do you want me to kill them she's like no i don't want any more killing tonight yeah and so, yeah, they all end up sitting around a dining room table and just, like, count, like passing the hours until the purge is over. Yeah, and Lena Headey is like, did you enjoy the purge party tonight? Yeah, like, that they were not invited to. And, and it was great because um, the woman who was throwing the purge party, who's, like, very much just looks like this very rich housewife. Yeah. Like, she just, like, imagine a middle-aged rich housewife. And That's it's her. her. And she, at some point, like, goes to grab the shotgun from the homeless guy. And he, either him or Mary, I can't remember which one of them, basically, like, hits her in the face with it. Lena Henny grabs her face and oh, slams right. her head into the dining table. That is what happens. And 
yeah, he, I think he kind of smacks her to keep her off of the gun, and then he she just, like, slams her head into the thing. Oh, it was so well done. And she's like, I told you there would be no more killing. And within, yeah. like, like a minute later, the alarm goes off, and, and then they, the purge is over. And they can just go free. Mm-hmm. Back to their homes to think about what they've done. And they all leave, and then it basically ends with, like, Lena, Hetty, and the kids, like, looking out the door. Yeah, and the homeless guy is like, peace, gotta run. Thanks, though. And, uh, and they just, yeah, they just watch kind of the world post-purge. I thought they could have offered the homeless guy, like, some clothing I think or something. It, I don't think know? he wanted anything else from them. I guess. I think he was just, like, ready to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. It's been like a fucked a up ride night. to the hospital. I don't know. What would he pay for it with Maggie? The hospitals they are expensive. They could pay his bills. They're That's very true. They rich. They are very They're rich. extremely rich. Um, but and then over the over the credits, you hear news reports that talk about how successful this year's purge was. Um, and when and it talking shows about the stock markets booming, and when it shows um, just like the outdoors at the end of the night, there's just like blood everywhere. Yeah, and they talk like, about how there's like a no sea of bodies happy. in downtown LA and stuff like that. Like. Yeah, and people are. There's a guy on the on the radio talking about how his son was killed, or he. I think he had a couple kids who were killed, and how he doesn't feel like a patriot anymore. He doesn't feel like he loves America anymore. Um, it's just a very weird, unsettling I end missed to that the part. story. That's yeah, I think though. it's in the later credits. That makes sense. Yeah, and that's the purge. That is it. That is the first purge. Um, no, that is the first. That is the first purge, purge movie, movie called the Purge. Just the Purge. That is not the first purge, which is the fourth movie. Thank you, Jason. God, Blum. I love sequels. Uh, so I think to kind of get an idea of where this movie came from, we have to start by talking about who made this. And so as we discussed earlier, the um, writer and director of the first couple Purge movies uh, is James de Monaco, which in French means of Monaco. <laughs> I like that he has the word demon in his first name or in his last name. In the he first does have name. demon. Yeah. That's actually a great last name for a... Uh, right? I like it a lot. For a, a horror writer. Um, so pr- prior to this, he hadn't done a ton of horror, and certainly nothing on this scale. Uh, he had written the horror film Skinwalkers. He was mostly a writer, more than a director. Um, he wrote the action films uh, Assault on Precinct 13 and Staten Island, and he also wrote the Robin Williams comedy Jack. That is the only one of those movies out of all of them that I have seen. I have not seen any of those movies. Jack is really like sweet and sad and kind of weird. There's like a weird phase of movies where grown men were playing children yeah because there was that there was big with tom hanks yeah and then there was um what's the adam sandler one where he has to go back to school um billy madison billy madison yeah so like all those movies came out not that long from each other and this was one of them i think this one was the most heartfelt of them all because he has like an illness right that makes him look like an adult yeah so what it is he's literally like he's a five-year-old or he's a i don't know i can never remember no what age kids actually supposed to be he's supposed to be in elementary school Mm -hmm. but he looks like an adult because he ages and so like at the very end of the movie it shows him graduating from high school but he looks like a very very old man he's going to be dying soon because he like has a body of a 90 year old despite the fact that he is only 18 bummer and it's just about him being kind of like the odd one out but learning to be accepted by the other kids and learning how to be a kid and adult kind of at the same time i saw that movie a lot when i was a kid i don't know why i think we had it on vhs well you are a uh, an early adopter james demonaco fan apparently <laughs> james demonaco james demonaco um but obviously this is a departure from his previous work yes uh, and there were a couple influences that kind of inspired him to make the purge so he grew up in new york and uh, like new york city new york um and as a result he was sort of familiar with crime you know like he he talks about how he's not trying to be a tough guy but like he knew people who were you know 
victims of of gun violence or he was sort of aware of it being around him in general and it wasn't something that he necessarily paid a lot of attention to it was just sort of a fact of life until he went to paris and there are like no guns in europe yeah for the most part like it's really hard to get guns they're not it's not like here in the slightest yeah and so he was kind of struck by that difference of like how much more accepting of guns and gun violence and how it's just sort of a thing that America has a totally different attitude towards. And so that was something that struck him is that it's this very American thing. And, and you see that, I think, a lot throughout the movie where the concept of the purge is sort of tied to American patriotism. Yeah. Like the mom talks about when the son is like, I don't like the purge. I think it's wrong that we're doing this to people. She's like, well, no, it's like an American thing. And like, it's helping our country. And in the later movies, you really see it as like one of the main villains in the second movie. Um, we're going to give spoilers for the whole series, basically. We're not going to talk too much about the later movies, but it's going to come up. Um, one of the main villains in the second movie, at the end, um, refers to, when he's about to kill one of the characters, he refers to purging as, like, his God-given American right. Like, it's gone just beyond being, like, it's a thing you can do. If you have anger, you can do something about it during it's the like, purge. But now it's, like, like now it's equivalent like, of free speech. Yeah, it's, like, you have to do it, and it's part of being an American, and it's, like, what America is about somehow. Which is, I mean, how people talk about their guns. Yeah, so. and, I mean, it is honestly probably how the purge would be handled if it was... It's true. If it was a real thing, people would, would cling to it pretty emphatically. So I do think it's interesting that he sort of folded that into the, the sort of the DNA of the franchise, is that it is this very weird patriotic thing you know um he also talks about how he and his wife were almost in a car accident at one point in time um or they they like got cut off and nearly hit by a drunk guy um and his wife who is like a doctor very educated woman um offhandedly mentioned that she had she wished that she had one free one a year so that she could like kill the guy who nearly like killed them which is an understandable reaction to have but he was sort of struck by the idea that even someone whose like job is to save lives can still have something in them that's like, well, I would kill that guy if I had the opportunity, that you know? That's really interesting, yeah. And you see kind that? of hasn't thought about that one every now and then. Like, yeah. would you actually do it? Probably, like, no. No. But, but, like, if you get really mad, like, part of your brain is like, oh, I wish uh, I could do something. Exactly. And it's something that you really see in, like, the neighbors here, where it's like, it's something that's, honestly, everybody's kind of like, oh, well, I wish I could, you know, kill my bratty neighbors and take their stuff or whatever, you know? Like, it's easy to think that, and then there's, like, this whole environment where it's become It's not allowed. just acceptable, but, it, like, it's almost encouraged. Yeah, like, go do it. the way they talk about it at the end when the neighbors show up and, like, we need to purge ourselves of these horrible feelings, it's almost, like, religious to them. Yeah, and that that blows up in the later, in the later movies. And by the third movie, um, it's about um, one of the characters, actually, from the second movie, trying to protect a uh, presidential candidate whose platform is to get rid of the purge. And so she is kidnapped and held at this midnight purge mass that her opponent is holding where they are literally in a church, in a cathedral. And it's all these rich, powerful people, like, ritualistically watching people be killed as, like... That's insane. Yeah, it is, like, a religious ritual for them where it's, like, you cleanse yourself of your sin and your hatred and all of that stuff through the concept of the purge. Like, it really... It's kind of taking something that might occur to a person and then blowing it up into something they need to be doing to really foster those feelings and that hatred. I mean, even then, if you're looking at the religious side of things, I mean, the flowers are called, like, baptistias. Like, 
I don't know if they're actually used in any baptism type of things, but the name sounds so similar that I'm 100% sure that was on yeah, purpose. Yeah, there's like the baptist angle, the baptism angle. It does exactly. have it's something that you would be familiar with in a religious sense anyway. And I think it's probably also, honestly, a comment on the heavy crossover between religion and politics in American culture. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Um, and then one of the other things that he mentions as sort of a um, another inspirational factor for him or something that kind of got him thinking about this um, is the lack of response that he saw in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina and kind of the idea that the government more or less was okay with letting people die as long as they are part of, you know, um, minority um, racial or ethnic groups or if they're low income or if they're, you know, difficult to provide for in any yeah, way. Yeah, no, the U.S. will provide a lot of assistance if you fit a very specific type of demographic that they want to save. Right. Which and is very similar to this movie. Yeah, and it's something that he kind of took to heart, the idea that, like, you know, maybe the, the government would more or less be all right with it if somebody was going through and killing all of the poor people. So then they don't have to worry about that. They can just, you know, pretend that it's for the best and ignore the fact that it's actual people who are being murdered. I do think it's really funny that they had to tell you that 15 times in this movie. Oh, my instead God, of letting they drive you, like, it home figure so hard. it out on your own. That's the thing, is that they really... they There's a lot of interesting concepts in this movie that they just tell you over and over and over and over and over again. And it's like, you could have let me think this through a little bit on my own. You could have made it. And I guess it's that way every single person gets the idea. Yeah. But at the same time, it just made it a little bit... Yeah. I mean, I agree with what they're saying, but I didn't need to be told it as often and as like heavily handed yeah that's something that he kind of references he talks about how he likes um people like uh romero or scorsese for their ability to do what apparently scorsese referred to as smuggler cinema which is where you take a genre film and you sort of smuggle a meaning into it so like in this case it's just a fun horror film but also it has this commentary about classism I don't think he's on a Scorsese level when it comes oh God, to no. uh, working that in. I don't even think he's on a Romero level when it comes to, like, working concepts in No, he's just like, I'm going to make a horror movie and then have different people on the radio tell you that this movie is about how rich people want to kill all the poor people. Yeah. Yeah, and then it becomes uh, less subtle as the film series goes on, to be honest with you. I don't you. even know how it could be less subtle than this, because it is <laughs> it not is. subtle in this You just of. see more, and everyone is like, it's because they hate poor people. Like, it's like, we yes, we know. We get that. We understand. You can be, you bring it back a little bit. And I read a couple interviews where he also talks about some of his favorite films, um, which I don't know if are intentional influences on this movie, but I can kind of see the connection. Um he mentioned that he really likes The Exorcist, which isn't one that I necessarily see. Well, it's all about strong. horror happening in the home, I guess. That's true. It's kind it of is... something that you're not safe in your home, so yeah. I could see that as yeah. potentially having a little bit of influence, but there are no actual, like, possessed demon children. That's true. Or even when you're a very wealthy, very successful that person does... who you think shouldn't have to be, like, involved in any of that stuff. It doesn't, still... you're it doesn't mean you're safe. Yeah. Um, I saw a strong connection in Rosemary's Baby, um, just due to the fact that Ultimately, the twist is that the neighbors are conspiring against the main character in yeah. both of those movies. Like, there's a little bit more of a um, hint towards that in Rosemary's Baby, and she becomes like more aware that people around her are plotting against her uh, than the Sandins really do in this movie. Yeah, the Sandins don't realize what's going on, but at the same time, the viewer does because it's pretty obvious early on that people are not happy. Yeah. Yeah, but they're not like, I'm going to kill you unhappy. It just seems like passive-aggressive neighbors. Yeah. But I guess even, like, a slight passive-aggressive neighbors end up becoming murderers if you are, they're given the chance. Right. Which is, yeah, exactly. Which is another point, point of the movie, movie. yeah. yeah. Um, and then 
he also mentions really liking the movie Helter Skelter, which is about the Manson family. And I, he, he also talks about having a fascination with Charles Manson because he saw Helter Skelter at a very young age. I actually bought the Helter Skelter book and I still have not read it. I did the same thing. I got a little <laughs> bit into it. I It's on my true crime to-do list. I still have to finish In Cold Blood before I read it, but I keep getting distracted I've with other books. I've actually never read a true crime book before. I read a lot of not true crime books in the sense I read a lot of bad murder mystery novels. Mm, well, I can lend you a couple. I'm working on growing my library, so share a little bit. You can read The Stranger Beside Me, which is about Ooh. Ted Bundy. Ooh, interesting. It's, it's written by a woman who used to work with him at a suicide prevention hotline. Oh, I remember you telling me about yeah, that. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, um, and I, I kind of I kind of related to him on his uh, childhood Charles Manson obsession because at one point when I was a kid, my mom told me something about, um, I think that this kind of got a little misconstrued. My mom is not a true crime buff. Um, but I, she made you the true crime buff yeah, that you are today. Yes. Um, where she talked about when the Manson murders happened, like when the police were checking the property, they basically found Manson curled up in a cabinet. And I think that that, that it happened at his like ranch I thought it happened at the actual crime scene. Oh, that's kind of cool. And that they were, like, hiding in the cabinet to, like, wait for the people to come home or whatever. So I was always afraid that there would be, like, somebody in my cabinet, like, reaching out to, like, grab me. I also didn't realize that Charles Manson was, like, 5'2", and so, like, most people are not that small and cannot fit into a cabinet. I did not know that about him. He was very, very small. Yeah, they recently cast Matt Smith from Doctor Who and The Crown as him in a movie, and Matt Smith is, like, 6'4", and I don't understand that at all. I feel like the little guy thing is like a part of him. Maybe they'll do the whole Frodo thing. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Um, but I, I kind of understand that the Charlie Manson connection to this movie and that it's a gang of people who are attacking this household for a reason that the household really doesn't fully understand. Like, they know that the guy's there, but they don't know, like, the kid didn't know when he let him in that there was any background or history. And the whole reason that Sharon Tate and her friends were murdered um, the night that they were killed is because uh, Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski had bought that house from um, a guy that Charles Manson had wanted to make a record with, basically. And the record producer who used to live there didn't follow through. He basically passed on Charles Manson's fabulous folk tunes. Um, and so they decided basically to go attack that guy out of revenge, but as it turned out, he no longer lived there, and so they just killed a bunch of random people. Well, we've so, talked about Charles Manson a lot on this podcast. I mean, I feel like he, he was kind of like the big, scary cult guy, was, you know? Yeah. Like, he's still, even though he didn't actually, like, hands-on kill any of the people who were murdered that night, like, it's still a huge, huge part of American kind of pop yeah. culture and anxiety no, and stuff like that. And so I can kind of see a connection there where it's, like, something big and terrible and these crazy people or these, like, very fucked up people will just show up at your home and they will just destroy you and there's nothing you can do about it. And it's not really your fault. It's just because of what's happening. And I kind of, I can sort of see how that would inform something like The that Purge, where it's sense. that yeah. scary, yeah, uncontrollable situation. Um, going forward, just to talk about Jason Blum and, like, his role in horror and his contributions to this movie, or Blumhouse's contributions, like, he yeah. is been killing it in the horror genre recently. For real. So we talked earlier about how he's done a lot of different series. He's in Paranormal Activity, Insidious, Sinister, which also has Ethan Hawke in it, right? Yeah. That's the one with the snuff films, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, that one was actually pretty creepy. That was, yeah. And was uh, Get Out, a whole bunch more. He's even done some. They they do non-horror as well, but it's by That's and large. Like, they did horror. Black Klansmen, I think. Um, 
but like for the most part they're a horror uh production company which is cool to see because they do some really really interesting horror i think blumhouse and a24 are kind of the two that are really doing interesting horror right Definitely. now and a24 also does not always horror yeah exactly um but they do some dope horror and you should see hereditary if you haven't seen hereditary oh god um and he talked about how uh, Jason Blum talked about how he liked the idea of a home being invaded, which is something that has happened in multiple things. And by this point, it happened in like paranormal activity, although it's being invaded basically by a demonic presence. It's a haunted house as opposed to, a, you know, a, a, a humans invading the home because he likes the idea of a safe situation becoming dangerous. I mean, if you think about it, like Sinister also takes place in the home. Yeah. You have Insidious, which takes place in the home. Mm-hmm. You have Get Out, which takes place in your your girlfriend's parents' home. Right. Like, all of his... I didn't even realize that connection that, like, pretty much every single one of the movies, everything... It's not, like, out in the woods. It's not no. at a haunted house that's been... That you've decided to go into. Right. For the most part, it's things where that you think you're safe. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that he... Uh, talked about that is uh, i have a quote from him that says good suspense and horror is really about creating situations that are relatable and then throwing a wrench in it and watching how people respond to it so the idea is that it's more scary to watch a movie about people being killed in their homes because you're in your home or you're going home to your home after you watch the movie it's it's everyone can relate to the idea of feeling scared that their home has been compromised in some way even if you're not going to go out and go into the woods or into a haunted house or something like that yeah you could still be in danger which I think is interesting. And I do like the um, comment that you have here that he made about how people, both on like the right and the left in America, are can join together to hate the idea of the purge. Because yeah. the people on the right say this is what happens when the government gets too involved. This is why we need to keep our guns to prevent this type of thing from happening. People on the left say there's too much violence, there are too many guns. And so they made a movie about violence in America, but a very violent movie about violence in America. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, I definitely do think that, like, he is aware that there's a political aspect to this. I think everyone who watches this, obviously, as we talked about, it really gets hammered home. You can't really miss the political angle of it. Yeah. Um, and, and they have really embraced that. Because in 2013, when this came out, things were, like, nuts, but they weren't, like, full-scale crazy the way that they are now. Like, yeah. we, like it was still, everyone was very tense and strong opposition on either side of the aisle but like now stuff is like what's happening um and that's something that they've really folded into the stories as they've gone along you see a lot more of like like you do see an election year type situation you see a, a a female blonde candidate who is you know in danger of losing or whatever is maybe gonna lose maybe he's gonna win and this other very extreme candidate and it it has strong it came out in 2016 like it has a strong connection to the election so i think that that's a very strong component to it this was also released kind of right in the middle of the hunger games movies um so there was already a lot of consciousness about the idea of like what would happen if you know the government like basically encouraged or enforced this idea of like sicking um citizens on each other yeah it's almost like a dystopian future but it's actually it's a dystopian future meets a utopian future in the sense that this dystopia has created a utopia yeah which is sort of like you see in the hunger games as like it's the, the same capital as the capital the, yeah. yeah all of these people the rich are allowed to live their fabulous life because poor people are dying uh, and it was also kind of in the middle of a resurgence in the home invasion trend which i didn't really think about that much until i started looking through for like other movies that are similar to it that were released around the same time so obviously the home the home invasion thing 
you see in like the 60s, 70s, 80s with movies like um, Wait Until Dark, When a Stranger Calls, the original one or the original Black Christmas. And then that kind of got kicked back up um, with some remakes in the 2000s. So you have the uh, When a Stranger Calls, the 2006 remix, the funny uh, remix, the 2006 remake, um, the Funny Games remake in 2007. It was originally a 1997 Austrian film. Um, you've got and Strangers. That, I'm saying the Funny Games one is literally a shot for shot. Yeah, remake. yeah, yeah. It's the it's same insane. thing. Even watching the trailer, the trailer is a shot for shot remake of the original trailer. That's too. crazy. Yeah. We have so much to talk about oh about Funny God. Games. I could honestly record an entire episode on Funny we Games. We'll probably at some point do an episode on Funny Games. But we're going to do a little mini preview episode about funny games in the middle of this episode because it's a strong, strong element uh, to take into consideration. But you had uh, The Strangers, you have your next. And then after this movie came out, there's Don't Breathe, Hush, Intruders, uh, Strangers Pray at Night, which is a sequel to the original Strangers. Doesn't The Strangers also have like creepy masks and shit? Yeah, it does. So that's like, there are some like major elements of this genre that really were just sort of like neatly tucked on into. Yeah, because you have like the someone's in your house but you don't know where the hell they are exactly from when a stranger calls right where like you know they're there Mm -hmm. um to me that was interesting in this one because it's not the villain that's the person in their house that you don't know where they are like they pretty much know where the villains are because they like come in guns blazing and they're like ready to roll yeah but they also aren't 100 sure if this guy's going to turn out to be a villain because there's also a chance that he could just like kill them all right that's what they're worried about is like it is legal for him to kill them all right Mm -hmm. now and that he could very easily do that if he is given the opportunity yeah it's kind of like a fake out where you're like, oh, they're at first you're like, oh shit, they just let a stranger into their house. Like, what's gonna happen? And they don't realize... really let you sit with it for very long. No, they make it pretty obvious who the real villain is. Yeah, but it's still an interesting thing where they sort of turn that convention on its head. Yeah, where the person that you are afraid of, you know, being in your house is actually the person who ends up saving you at the end. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you talk about the mask. You see that in The Strangers. You see that in Your Next, where they have a bunch of animal masks. Um, and again, I do love the fact that in this one, they totally kind of make fun of that by just having the guy take off his mask almost immediately to yeah. show, like, the same exact face. And you also have in um, the really very overly polite and, like, well-groomed upper-class villain a la Funny Games. Mm-hmm. So it really is a whole bunch of different parts of these movies yeah. combined into one. I see a lot of connection between Funny Games and this movie. I have so many thoughts on Funny Games as a movie. Tell me your thoughts on okay. Funny Games as it pertains to this film. Oh my god. So I think first is going back to that quote about how they made a violent movie in order to make a comment on violence. That's exactly how Funny Games is made. The idea is that the director wanted to make a very violent movie that wasn't entertaining in the slightest. Yeah. So you're not rooting for anyone really. It's bleak. Even when like the there's one small shot where one of the people who's being attacked like kills one of the villains and they find a remote and rewind it to fuck with the viewer and so like nope what you want to happen is not going to happen we're just going to mess with you right and so the whole idea of like making a very violent movie in order to make a commentary on violence and how we've come desensitized to it yeah but then you're also contributing to the problem simultaneously right by adding more violence and making us further desensitized to it exactly like they've made all these purge movies about how bad violence is and the reason that people go is to watch people who are like have the you know crazy guns and the and the whole breaking of the fourth wall from because it's peter and paul i think paul is the one who says to the 
screen a couple times is like, oh, we're doing this because like you can't underestimate the power of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, or they talk about how this movie isn't quite full feature length yet, so they need to continue torturing them. And how they make a couple of comments that are saying like, we are making this movie because you are here to see it. Yeah. And like you are complicit in the violence happening. That's something that I felt really interested about in in the scene where they find the stranger and they tie him up and they're going to send him out. Is that like up until then you're like you kind of want to see the violence and you're there to see what happens and you haven't seen that much actual violence up until that point. And the first real on-screen violence is like you watch a mother stabbing a strange man so that she can turn him over to strangers in front of her children to have him killed. And you're like, wait a second, I don't like this anymore. Like this is fucked up. Like I don't want to be a part of this. And so I do think it does a good job of using violence to alert you to issues surrounding violence. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting that that's done in both games. And I in both movies. <laughs> and that's actually something that was kind of intentional on DeMonico's part. He talks a lot about how people have criticized him for glorifying violence, but he himself is terrified of violence. And so for him all of those like he doesn't understand why people would want to be on the purge side and would want to be out there being violent and being aggressive. And as much as you do see real violence throughout the movies, the main characters are always the ones who are sort of avoiding violence. And I think that the Sandins are the most um, morally gray of all of his characters for the rest of the series. Yeah. Like, in the second ones, you see it's like a bunch of people who have been stranded outside on Purge Night for reasons that they couldn't control. Like a, a couple whose car breaks down, one family is, they're, they're in their home and then it gets broken into and they have to run out into the street. And then there's a guy who is actually out there to purge, but he is out there to kill the guy who like was driving drunk and hit and killed his son. And he is the only character, he's kind of the badass who like gets them all through. He's the most morally ambiguous character. But at the end of the second one, again, spoilers, he is literally pinned to the ground with a gun in his face by the guy who's talking about how it's his right to purge and he'd gotten away from him earlier and he's going to kill him now. And the only reason he lives is the fact that he had let, by the time he found the guy who killed his son, he decides to let him live. And then the guy who killed his son shoots the guy who's trying to kill him. So he is only saved at the end by the fact that he chooses so not to purge his they just took the fate. same exact ending from the first movie and reused it for the second movie. There is a lot of people getting shot before they can shoot someone else yeah it's not, very not just that but the idea of like oh i was going to have you killed i've decided to spare you and then you're going to save me while i have a gun in my face by shooting that person pretty much yeah same exact ending Song. yeah yeah good it's job sort of um, once very you... original james de martin <laughs> james demonico yeah yeah and then in the the third one they are saved by a literal shootout so that one gets a little more dicey about whether or not violence is good but um but then going back to funny games also there's a lot of the whole focus on courtesy it's like you were literally yeah. doing the least polite thing you could do by breaking in and trying to kill me but you demand that i be polite to you or that like they're being very polite and seems like but you're literally like there's such a difference between like saying something rude and like violently murdering someone right but they think that the saying something rude is worse than the violence right like in so funny games there's no reason that they couldn't physically shove people out of the out of the house like there's no reason why you can't like, they depend on courtesy to get them in the door. They depend on the politeness and keeping the construction. And the only reason that the, I mean, the excuse they give in Funny Games for the violent kicking, the violence kicking off is the rudeness. Yes. And um, because he slaps Peter in the face. Yeah. Tom, like, 
Tubby. Like, he calls them so many different yeah, names. Yeah, he calls them a bunch of names. We never know their actual name. Yeah. Which is also interesting. We never hear about any of the motivations. We never hear exactly. about any of the um, backstory. We never even learn their names. Yeah, we don't know anything about these villains. And it's the same with the Purge, where it's just these, like, young adults who are set on being violent because, mm-hmm. like, it's their right as Americans to be violent. Yeah. But they don't really know why they're trying to kill this guy. We never learn their names or anything like that. We no. just know that they're, like, well-bred, upper-class people yeah or whatever yeah who have these horrible violent things inside of them although in in funny games they're not actually really upper class they're just we don't know if they are i guess that's true they tell you like a bunch of different fake stories they, yeah they tell you multiple fake stories and they're like no that was completely made up and they go yeah. from like crying to laughing yeah it's very upsetting like i would love to know what the writer of that thought their backstory was if he ever even considered it yeah but it's very interesting yeah, and of course there's the strong physical resemblance between them, which is that there are these they do look very blonde, similar. handsome. You know, it's Michael Pitt is the um, main guy, and I don't I don't know the other guy really from anything else in Funny no. Games. And then Reese Wakefield is this like very tall, handsome man who I will never be able to see in anything else because he's terrifying in this movie. And then there's uh, I, I mean I, I felt like there was a little connection to Panic Room. Yeah, without a doubt, because you've got the there's a, a you know. A family in a safe location being invaded, which we kind of talked about earlier. And then... Uh, Just they did it better because they actually had a fucking Right. They actually room. were trying to be safe. And the only reason that they come out of the room in Panic Room is because she needs to get the uh, injection for her daughter mm-hmm. um, because she's diabetic. But it's, again, that thing of, like, your concern for your children kind of overwhelms... To be fair, what else would cause you to leave that room other than... Exactly. It has to be something like that. Really that. Um, so, okay. So this is definitely a home invasion film. But I personally feel that the home invasion subgenre is like kind of a sister subgenre to the slasher. I could see that. With some different elements. Obviously often in a lot of the ones that we referred to earlier, like You're Next or um, the Black Christmas, The Black Strangers, Christmas. the slasher killer is the person who's trying to break in. So that's obviously a big element. It's like you're hiding out in your house and this strange person is trying to get in to kill you and your family, right? That's yeah. like a normal slasher kind of structure Theme, to it as yeah. well. One thing I found really, really interesting is the way that gun use, since obviously gun use is not big in slasher films, but it kind of tends to show up more in home invasion movies. I think it's because it's more realistic. Yeah, but it's still used in a really interesting way. And that's something that kind of shows up in the Purge movies a lot, where there's a ton of guns, and I think that kind of the sound that everyone associates with the Purge is like machine gun fire in the background and like, you know, people with their guns running around and trying to kill people. And there is a lot of gun violence. But there's also a lot of knife violence. And the knife violence is used in really specific ways like people get shot with guns in like fast-paced scenes right so like james sandin shoots a bunch of people in his house cool it's like a montage of violence. it doesn't matter none of those deaths are like really important to the story you have to explain why those people are no longer a danger so he shoots them all but when it comes time for the flight leader to kill james he stabs him and when it comes time for the neighbors to decide that they're going to take out this whole family they're going to stab them. I thought they were setting them on fire. They had big knives, though, too. That's true. Um, and then in later movies, like in the second movie, um, two of the main characters, uh, their father and grandfather, because it's a mother-daughter pair, um, he decides to solve their monetary problems by martyring himself to a rich family and like letting them kill him on Purge Night, and then they'll get a ton of money. Oh, that's really interesting. It, it, they kind of do some cool world-building in the later movies. Um but the way that they're going to kill him is by knife. And then in the scene in the, um, the, the mass that I talked about earlier, they stab all of the, the people that they're going. So it's like any time that it's a very ritualistic or like 
important killing or a main I think character. It also, is a lot more personal because yeah. when you pull a trigger, the gun's doing all the work. But exactly. if you are literally a person stabbing the knife into someone and like ripping them open or whatever, it's a lot more intimate of a killing experience. Yeah, and I think that there's something more frightening about a person who's willing to do that to you up close. You know, like there's something more wrong with you if you're okay with like getting right up to another person. I mean, even them. going back to funny games, like the very first stuff that goes on is that his leg is broken with a golf club. So it's kind of similar where it's not. It's the same idea, just instead it's a very blunt weapon that is used yeah. strategically as opposed to a knife. And really, what a slasher Wasn't is. Is it stabbed at some point, though, I too? Think I think so. I didn't watch all the funny games because it got too sad. Yeah, it doesn't get any better. Uh, Tim came home and was like, oh my god, you're watching this. And I was like, we can turn it off. <laughs> I told, I made Paul watch it with me, and he'd never seen it before. And he hated the movie. He was like, I did not like this. It's it was not horrible. enjoyable. That's the whole point, It's though. good, but it's not enjoyable. It's not made to be enjoyable. He said no. he didn't want to make a horror movie. He didn't want to make a enjoyable movie. He wanted to make a movie that had zero entertainment value in order to show that you're literally only watching this for violence, and that makes you a fucked up person. But then I kept saying that to Paul. He kept saying... But, but he's adding to the problem because he made this violence movie. And also, like, a lot of the violence in that movie is much more intense than violence in... But it's also in... all off screen. Like, you don't actually see any of the violence. True. Which is super interesting. Yeah. Like, when the son is murdered, it happens while movie Paul is making a sandwich. And then while Peter shoots the son in the other room. Right. And or when the golf club thing happens like you only see his face and his reaction um none of the murders actually happen on screen yeah except for when naomi watts is like pushed into the water i will say so i've been reading this book recently which is um fascinating it's called men women and chainsaws by carol j clover um and it's it's basically about like gender um in horror specifically in slashers and one of the things that she kind of takes umbrage with at the beginning is the fact that not a lot of people who write about horror also watch horror or go to horror movies and kind of interact with the audiences and that there's this idea that people watch horror because they want to watch people getting murdered when in fact a lot of it is the catharsis of like ultimately at the end you always end up rooting for the main person to triumph over the things that have happened to them and yeah. it's sort of that like all of this horrible stuff can happen to you and you can still be okay and you can get out and like yeah your life might be messed up now and you might have like issues but like you can still come out of that even if you seem like you shouldn't be able to even if you are a frail little girl who shouldn't technically be able to go up against a huge strong serial killer or whatever and you can still get out of it and at the end like yes people root for the serial killer at the beginning but by the end your perspective has completely shifted to be on the side of the final girl and the the the, the kills early on in the movie that are like just taking care of the friends and getting the friends out of the way are the ones that people are like oh yeah it's fun it's gory whatever and then by the end it's really what the final girl is or you know the final family or whoever it's really what they're doing against their attacker that people are really really pulling for and really yeah. rooting for which i thought was really interesting and i think kind of ties into that is that like I understand what he was trying to do with funny games, but I think that it also kind of doesn't fully understand why people like horror. But he didn't want to make a horror movie. Well, yeah, but he's obviously making a commentary on horror as a genre. So That's whether true. or not he wanted his to be a horror movie, it's still a comment on that. It is. It's just interesting because he very uh, he very specifically came out and said he did not make a movie for people to like. He didn't want people to like this movie. Right. He wanted to watch them and make them feel uncomfortable because he knows they want to root for the the um, family. But he wants to subvert their expectations and take what they're expecting will happen and then say, I know you want this. You're not going to fucking get it. And it's because I want you to realize what you have become so accustomed to and be aware that you are 
watching this specifically for the violence. Yeah. And I get that. I just think it's a very pretentious. And I think that it doesn't really fully acknowledge why people like the kinds of things that they like. It's true. Um, it's definitely very pretentious. Um, (laughs) I think it's really fascinating that he like put this effort in. It works to a certain extent because like, I don't know anyone who actively likes that movie or who enjoys watching it. Yeah. I enjoyed it a little bit, actually. Just because I think I really was interested in the commentary he was making and learning why and, like, a lot of the, like, wall or the fourth wall breaking I thought was super interesting. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that, like, in a meta sense, it is a fascinating movie and, like, the things that he, the the way that he structured it in order to make the commentary But if you want to watch a movie, it is not an enjoyable movie to watch. It's very unpleasant. It's just very... It'll just make you feel bad. Yeah. It'll make you feel bad and make you think a lot about all of your movie choices. Yeah, basically. Which is what he wanted. Yeah. So thanks for... I mean, he, he set out to do a thing. He successfully did that thing. It worked. That doesn't mean it's a fun movie to watch. True. So that's just, these are all True. my thoughts on funny games. I've, I've thought a lot about this movie. I probably should have spent more time thinking about The Purge than funny games. No, I understand. Funny games is a, a compelling film. There's also a lot more to dive into, I think. True. Well, The Purge is a very heavy-handed commentary yeah, on they don't. Yeah, there's not layers, really, in The Purge. It's just sort of all there on the top for That's you. exactly. Well, there are tons of layers to funny games. Yeah. Um, another thing that Clover talks about in her book is um, the, the concept of, like, the safe space as, a, like, a call to action, which we kind of touched on a little bit later, where, like, once the people are inside, then they really have to make the choice as to, like, what they're going to do. And that's yeah. something that, again, you do see in a lot of slasher movies, where, like, you can avoid, like... Lori can avoid Michael Myers for most of the movie, right? She can run away. She can get somewhere else. Once she's in that babysitting house and she's in that closet and she has backed herself into a corner, then she actually has to fight against him. And it's also a very animalistic thing. Like, if you've ever backed a cat that is unhappy into a corner, which I can tell you that I have. I've backed a dog who doesn't want his teeth brushed into my bathroom. And sometimes they'll, they either have to, like, run away or they have to, like, fight back. Exactly. Because those are their only options, or let whatever's going to happen happen to them. So, so I think that a big part of the horror genre, and specifically slashers and home invasions, is pushing people into that state. Like, forcing, setting up the circumstances that force these normal people, again, your normal, everyday, relatable people, into a situation where it's either you gotta run, and if you can't run, you, you gotta, gotta fight. fight. And that's when the fighting happens. That's why you get, you know, a, a hundred-pound teenager up against a, you know, six-foot-five... Leatherface or whatever, yeah. you know? I think that's something that's really interesting, and that's something that is kind of the home invasion is just, like, that part of the slasher movie, but it's the whole movie. And, of course, it also does talk about the the idea of the purification of violence, the continuity of violence, or the continuation of violence um, being kind of a, a terrifying thing as well, which is sort of, like, back to the whole world into that same sort of corner. Yeah. Where it's, like, you normally have that structure and that safety from the laws, but when the laws are willing to, like, just be like, whatever, go for it, have fun, for one night, then... As people, you sort of get into that loop and in that situation where, like, you never really kill the monster because the monster's just back next year. Um, which, like, everybody in the in the movies talks about how, like, they're going to be purified by their, their violence or they're going to get it all out and they're going to be fine afterwards. But, like, that's not really how it happens. And yeah. it's not going to fix them. It's not going to make them feel better. It's just going to make them more comfortable with killing, which I think you even see in Henry. And it's like, by the time this thing has come around, people are just like, oh, well, like, I could talk it out with my... My or girlfriend's I could out, right? just, just shoot him. Yeah, and he doesn't really think through the whole of, like, well, okay, so, like, what if my girlfriend doesn't like that I just killed her father? I think it's also worth noting that a lot of the violence you see in this movie actually comes from all, like, younger teenage assholes, you know? 
And so it kind of speaks to the kids who you see playing like a lot of video games now and shooting people there. Like, what if they actually had the chance to shoot someone in real life? Yeah, with no repercussions. And again, it's not even like I think most people who play video games now obviously still like understand right from wrong. Yeah. Because like there's a social system in place, and this is why all people understand pretty much right from wrong is that there's social things in place that are like well you don't kill a person because that's wrong for this video reason. games don't actually make people violent <laughs> i play a lot of video games this is a psa um thanks for coming to my ted talk <laughs> but i think it's interesting because you are able to sometimes it's really cathartic to like shoot a bunch of people in a video game yeah and understand that it's not real and all, or it's the same reason i think it's cathartic for like why i play dodgeball because i just get to throw balls at people yeah and, like exactly it's very it gets it out of you. It yeah, makes you exactly. feel better. It gets it out of you. There's actually... Um, and so, but if you, if the entire country said, oh, you want to get that out of you, do it by literally killing people once a year. Yeah. And there's an article on Psychology Today by Carolyn Kaufman. Uh, she talks a lot about how the concept of the purge itself is inaccurate, and I think that she sort of applies that to the, the moral of the movies, which is obviously the opposite of what... Like, the movies aren't about how fun the purge is. That's really not the point. Um, is that what she thought the movie was about? I'm not really sure, but she talks about how, like, the, the quote that I have here is, uh, catharsis of aggression may logically seem like it would lead to emotional relief, but the reality is that acting out our rage is more likely to increase aggression than purge it. Also, even hypothetically speaking, carrying around a whole year's worth of hatred just to act it out in a murderous rampage once a year isn't likely to make people follow the rules better the rest of the year. It's likely to reduce the guilt that keeps most people from acting on their most violent impulses in the first place. Mm. So I guess her criticism is that she doesn't think that it would really keep violence down for the rest of the year, which I guess is a point of the purge. It is. Um, so I, I get that. That that does make a lot of sense. But I, I thought it was interesting that it's like even like on a biological level that doesn't work. Like that's not how people work. Like you need it either to not be okay or to be okay. It can't be okay sometimes and not okay other times. That's interesting. Yeah. But I can also see like I want to do this violent thing. I just need to wait until this one day and then I can get away with it. Yeah. I could see that like delaying violence it's not that it True. reduces violence that it delays it to one day a year because obviously there isn't less violence it just all happens on this one day especially because right. you talk about like you only see a little bit of the violence happening in this movie but they talk about like the sea of bodies in downtown LA yeah and like you wouldn't like most of the people I get what she means in that like most of the people who are committing these crimes wouldn't normally be the people who commit crimes like most people aren't going to try to kill their neighbors because there are rules and restrictions but when you lift that it's like well it's okay then like if people say it's okay then it's okay you know yeah well, the government wouldn't tell me i can kill them if it's wrong yeah you know it's very interesting yeah um sorry i say yeah. interesting a lot i think maybe today i'm just really you're just very interested today. Uh, it's, you know, it's a very interesting movie. I just think the whole thing's interesting. The statements are interesting. And what's not interesting is the over-sexualization of the teenage daughter. True. That is just gross. But most of the other movie features are interesting. Yeah. So in general reaction to these movies, um, the first one is rated at 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. I understand why. Yeah. One they get a little bit better. They're in like the 50s, I think, in general for the rest of them. Yeah. So I was going to blame the 38% partially on... Ethan Hawke because for me just everything I've ever seen him in he's so unlikable but I realize there actually is a handful of movies that he is very like likable in yeah probably or that, he, that are rated well like I mean Boyhood is supposed to be a really good movie I think that it works sometimes where like I haven't seen Boyhood but like I think if he's playing a character that is supposed to be a little bit more complicated but he's just I mean in this movie he just doesn't seem likable I don't know about Ethan Hawke personally in this movie he's kind of rough also just in general this movie is not one of the big complaints that you see a lot is 
uh, something I honestly really agree with, which is that the concept is really cool, and then it just gets weirdly bogged down by the actual movie itself. I think that's very true. That, like, yeah, like, they're not a likable family. Like, you don't really root for them. Yeah, I think it's hard to see, like, Lena Headey in a likable role. Also, like, she stabs a dude, and they're, like, basically war profiteering, and, like, they're, <laughs> they they're are shitty people. <laughs> like, yeah. They're not really likable. Charlie's likable. Yeah, but he's weird, too. Like, the most likable is, like, a creepy child who's obsessed with his, like, weird burnt baby doll robot and, like, likes to measure his heart rate. Like, he's weird. <laughs> he is really Everyone's weird. Um, and I think that that maybe is part of why they take it away from the house, like, for the sequels. Like, you get out into the world and you get to see people who are a little more sympathetic, the people who aren't protected against all of this stuff, yeah. you know? Who have to, like, scrape by and survive. I do really like the idea of seeing more of this universe. So maybe it's I interesting. watch the later movies. The sequels are better rated as well, and I, I think that there's a reason for that, which is that the characters are more complex. They're Most of them focus on, like, groups of people being brought together from different circumstances. I also think that because this movie is so heavy-handed with its political commentary, the whole, um... I don't think they're smuggling anything. I think they're no. just, like... Just It'd be it like if right you're trying across. to shoplift by, like, just carrying a giant pumpkin under your arm. Like, I'm stealing this pumpkin. I hope you all can see it. It's not smuggled <laughs> in. It's just very obvious. And I think yeah. it almost, like, treats the watcher as if they're dumb. Yeah. And I don't really like movies that treat me like I'm an idiot. Like, I want to be able to kind of discover layers. True. On the other hand, they've been incredibly successful. Each they movie have. has made, like... Every subsequent movie, I think, has made over $100 million. That's even insane. though the budgets, the budgets have gone up as well, but, like, they've been making a ton of money. They have three sequels and a TV show now. There's a Purge TV show on, I think, Amazon. I'm not 100% sure. Has it come out yet? Uh, I don't know. Cool. Because I'm probably not going to watch it, to be honest with you. Yeah, so then I guess, I mean, I think we've talked about what we think about it. I think it's an interesting movie. I think the universe is compelling. I agree that it gets bogged down. I think that the last 30 minutes don't really need to be there. I don't think that the neighbors are that interesting as villains. I, I kind of liked that a little bit. I thought it was interesting because it shows that even, like, people can simultaneously be heroes and villains at the same time. I get that. I thought it was more interesting, and then that the guy who they ended up saving saves them. And so I thought it, it just was... just felt like there were so many, like, oh, no, they shot that guy, and there's another guy, and oh, no, they shot that person, and now there's another person, you know? I, it felt like there were too many threats. I think just the movie wasn't that great. Yeah. I do agree with that. I think that without the ending, if it was just like, surprise, now they're all murdered or something like that. Yeah. It wouldn't have felt very good. That's true. Or if, like... Ethan Hawke just came out and killed all of them but then died and yeah. everyone else was still alive I still feel like it just wouldn't have been very satisfying I think That's the ending they had was a little bit more satisfying but that doesn't mean it was necessarily that great I think for me the main problem was like they really hype like the polite leader and like his gang of creepy folks as like these super scary villains and they were used on all of the everything and like they're definitely the most interesting villains in the movie Yeah, and like as soon as they break in they're dead. Basically, they die. Yeah. It, it, like, there's not a lot of time. You don't really get to know them as villains. I would have liked to get to know them a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. So I, I just felt like that was... And even then, it was a short movie. It was like an hour and 25 minutes It's or not like super that. long. Yeah. I just felt like so much happened. There were like multiple endings almost, you yeah. know? It was, it was a... solidly okay. Yeah. I give it a meh. Yeah. It's fine. I won't go out of my way to watch it again. Did you buy this one on DVD, Maggie? Um, I didn't. We rented it. My buying on DVD got a little bit out of control, financially speaking. Um, so I probably will go back to it at some point in time. 
and I do if it's hard to find it, you know, on, on like a streaming service or something like that. But also sometimes it's just like, oh shit, we need to watch that tonight. Let's watch That's it. That's where I'm at usually. Yeah. Also, I don't believe in buying physical movies anymore. See, my concern is that like, what if something happens to like our login somewhere? You know, we don't have any of that stuff saved. You know, what if... Well, I guess for renting movies, that doesn't really apply. No, I just pay $3 and rent a movie. I just don't trust. I don't trust it. I don't trust the machines, and I don't trust the robots, and I don't trust the airwaves. You don't trust our, our Amazon overlords? I don't. I don't trust our Amazon overlords. Yeah. I don't at all. No. Give me a physical thing. That you order through that Amazon. That I can... I, I like to go to Amoeba. <laughs> if they have it. If they have it. They don't always. Sometimes I have to order through Amazon. I don't love to... I just like to have the physical thing, you know? And then you, even if something happens, you still have it. Well, if all the machines fail, our DVD players are also going to fail. True. I guess that ultimately I just have to get everything on film, like a print on film. You should do that. And then have a... That'd be a better, like a more impressive collection. It'd take up more room. You need like a film library. So my whole house would be unbelievably flammable. It'd be like also that. that. <laughs> Glorious <past. laughs> Oh. oh man all right well i mean i thought that was an interesting movie um has its flaws overall interesting interesting to read about um what are we doing next week we have a fun one planned for oh, you for we next do. week so we're gonna do a halloween versus halloween we are which i'm really excited about so our plan for the next episode is to talk about the original halloween movie starring jamie lee curtis scream queen and the original Michael Myers villain. And also, we're going to talk about the new one, which we're going to also starring. Hopefully, have seen by then. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. We will. Yeah. Um, we're going to go see it opening night and make it happen. Yeah. We're very excited about it. We want to compare the two. We want to see um, a little bit about how the series has grown, what they've decided to completely omit from continuity, what they've decided to keep. Um, and just talk about whether we like the new one or not. Yeah, and how does the reboot of like a really old classic movie go forward? What is it like having the original Scream Queen in this? Because the fact like a lot of these movies when they're rebooted, they start over from scratch. They don't actually have the original. Yeah. And, and the, except for like Scream 4, I guess, which did a really good job. Right, so but she's been in every that. Scream movie. She has. And, and um, Jamie Lee has not been in every single Halloween movie. But she was the victim in every Scream movie. In Scream 4, she wasn't the victim. She was just That's kind of true. there. That is true. She was helping out the person who was the victim because it was supposed to be a reboot. Right. I highly suggest that you I watch Scream 4. I think it's interesting because this is sort of more, I think Halloween is going to be more like Scream 4 where That's it my is like, it's kind of a reboot, but it's also still in the same continuity. So like, yes, they've like, a lot of the older stuff doesn't count or like they've changed it or like, I guess they allude to the fact that like in one of the Halloween sequels they talk about her technically being his biological sister and yeah. then later on they're like in this one they're like no 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 that's a rumor that's not real so like they're sort of I might have to watch some of the sequels too before we see this which is gonna be a I Halloween extravaganza I the first four on DVD I think that's one of the ones that I have like an insane number of I don't know why yeah. I have like a set but Beautiful. I do so, um, so we're really excited about that we're really looking forward to it and uh, we'll talk to you guys then um, we hope that you have gotten to watch the new Halloween by the time we talk about it. Um, but if not, maybe hold off and just wait until you've seen it. Yeah. Um, until then, though, enjoy. Drive safe. Uh, text us when you get home. And we love you all. Have a wonderful week. Mwah!